Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Modern Times Podcast. This one is Political Profundity, John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hi, Karen. Good afternoon, John, and hello to all our listeners out there. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks so much for listening to an inauguration podcast after this weekend um, with, a, I think, a nice little... Um, view on history. You know, I think a few days afterwards is always a good time to look at things. Don't you think so? I do. I absolutely do. I think we've had a few days. We had the inauguration, then we had this incredible protest march the next day, not only in this country, but the entire, a good chunk of the world, it seems. Uh, So this was an incredibly busy weekend for both obviously for the new president and his people, plus the millions of people who do not support him and are not likely to anytime soon. And Donald Trump started his weekend out by um, doing a Bane impersonation. (laughs) I think it's fair to say, yes, even though he is nowhere near the talent Tom Hardy is. No way. Yes, that's a fair comment. Mm -hmm. No, I don't (laughs) think he's got an Oscar. I mean, he might have an, he has an Emmy, right? I think he's proud of that Emmy. Uh, Trumpy or, or Tom Hardy? I, no, yeah, I mean I, Trump. I, I, I Trump, you know, Trump has an Emmy, right? Uh, for uh, does he? Well, or did he get him. shut I, out for I the Emmy? I never watched the show, and I don't care about it. So. <laughs> oh come <laughs> on, Karen! Got an Emmy. You know, I you know I, I Trump says the the giving it back to you, the people. That mm-hmm. was the common bane um, uh, uh, quote. But it's basically reading between the lines was the same thing. Um, going from one party to another, we're transferring power from Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, Baines was, we take Gotham from the corrupt. Um, so it's kind of like the reading between the lines thing, I think, is really right. why it, it kind of resonated. Besides that, that was just the thing that took off. And maybe it was because people thought, hey, this guy is kind of like Bane without the mask and the little <laughs> special juices rolling into his spine. <laughs> I'm 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 honestly not sure that uh, mimicking the words and actions of a villain from a Batman film is the best way to get started off. Um, but and, and I, you know, it, it, we, as we learned, obviously Trump did not write his speech. That was yet another lie that he uh, propagated on Twitter. Uh, it was written by Steve Bannon and I believe someone else. Right. Um, in fact, you could frankly hear, just listening to it, you could hear Steve Bannon in it. Uh, he is an incredibly uh, combative individual and has, you know, he's made, made many statements over the years that back that up. Uh, so you could definitely hear Steve Bannon in it. Um, I, I just don't, again, I, I think, and again, uh, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, obviously, but I think he had an opportunity here to reach out to people who are not fans, did not vote for him, and do not trust him. He failed to do so, and that's a shame, but that's on him, and I think it's going to make his job in the long run all that more hard, because, again, there is so much distrust and dislike of this man. There, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of work, and I'm just not sure he's able to do that based on his character and his temperament. The New York Daily News put together a very interesting uh, uh, article that had some, uh, you know, very uh, well-known inaugural speeches uh, from mm-hmm. um, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, um, and then they kind of put them up against Trump's. So um, let's see if you can guess who this is. I, you know, I know we don't Uh-oh, really like game. to do a game show here, but <laughs> let's see. Um, is this John F. Kennedy or Donald J. Trump? America will start winning again, winning like never before. 
I'm going to say not John F. Kennedy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Donald Trump. Very right, Karen. Dun, dun, dun. Um, how about this one? <laughs> My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I think it's safe to say that would be the late John F. Kennedy. Uh-huh. Very, yes. very. That is probably the most famous line he ever uttered. And it is one that, that I think captures the spirit of this country. It's all about us working together to make our country a better place. And that doesn't happen with cheap slogans or, or you know, empty promises. It happens with hard Work. And well, well. Let's it see if it's a line that endures decades later. Well, let's, let's see if that if that uh, uh, carries through on the next one. Um, Franklin D. Okay. Roosevelt or Donald Trump. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Of course, that is FDR. <laughs> okay, um, and then going and back to simple jargon, um, who is this one? We will follow two simple rules: buy American and hire American. That would be Trump, and all I can say is that's a nice idea, easier said than done, for so many reasons, it's not even funny. Okay, enough of the games here, I'm sorry, Karen. (laughs) I'm sorry I started pulling out a game here on you, but I just couldn't help it. No, go on, I'm enjoying it, I'm enjoying it a lot. No, yeah, I mean, maybe we move on from it, I I just... Yeah. (laughs) However, um, I think it's indicative, don't you think, of, of kind of... You know, I think the difference, and I think that's why sometimes I think the Bane, the whole Bane thing took off. Uh, there right. there was not a signature thing besides, you know, there wasn't one of those memorable quotes that you can pull out of it. I mean, even if you look at at what his, um, you know, the what was highlighted as his memorable quotes, um, they're rather pedestrian, you know. Uh, you, we talked about... Incredibly pedestrian. Um, I mean, you know, I'm talking about his campaign, I think you... The, yeah, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. No, 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 you know, please, I mean... About the campaign. I mean, you were mentioning that. It was, you know, that's on you. Um, how he talked about his campaign in his inaugural, which... Right, which is it's just so inappropriate and so unnecessary. You know, it's a perfect example of the last Republican president we had. Now, in his inaugural speech the first time around, uh, as I recall, and I, I haven't listened to it lately, but I do think George W. Bush made some sincere efforts to try to spread a greater message and to maybe make efforts to reach out to those who had not voted for him. And, of course, as we know, that was a contentious election. Now, did he succeed? Unfortunately, no, he did not. Uh, we all know how that ended up, and not, not you know, it's an unhappy ending. But and I just think it was a much higher speech, and Trump's speech was campaign slogans. It just simply did not do what I think perhaps the organizers of this wanted it to do, and that was for some broader outreach. He failed. As I say on The Apprentice to him, you're fired. <laughs> well, uh, didn't work. by judging, you know, by how many people attended the inauguration or got in through the checkpoints, um, then, you know, what they say is about, uh, you know, between 500 and 700,000, 500 and 800,000. But far less than 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 was in Washington D.C. or allowed through areas in Obama. Correct. I, I think, frankly, the Trump campaign was, or should I say, is the inauguration organizers were more worried about the number of protesters. And rest assured, if they had not uh, made efforts to limit that, there probably would have been more protesters there than supporters. Yeah, you know, there was there's there's been some. Um, 
you know, talking about what was going on in the streets. But, you know, those people might have been right up by the area that, that, that he was to be inaugurated in if they would have allowed those protesters to go there. Well, right. And I think to, to credit, to some credit should be given perhaps to the inauguration organizers that maybe they were concerned that it could have turned violent. And, and either because of something a protester would do or perhaps a Trump supporter would do. And I'm merely speculating. Um, but this was just not a well-attended event. It wasn't watched all that much. Uh, and I think, again, this may come as a surprise to Trump supporters, but it's, I think that's a reflection of the fact that a lot of people don't like this guy and didn't vote for him. And, you know, here we are. The cycle is complete. Well, the attendance um, issue spilled over to Saturday. Um, so, yeah, Friday, the balls, um, whatever. I mean, I, I, I watched a little bit of it, and I saw some kids singing Motown. Um, uh, it looked like they were probably from middle America somewhere. Um, um, you know, very entertaining young 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 people. Um, or star power wasn't there. Anyway, by the time you get to Saturday... Um, there was a little bit of a controversy over how many people showed up. And then there was the press briefing by Sean Spicer at the White House. Um, right. And this is where I think, you know, I, maybe I can ask you, you know, for the first time actually on the podcast, but maybe at some point I think we need to do a special podcast called Alternative Facts. Um, but this is where... <laughs> Might not be a bad idea now. You know, it's not the first time it's been said, um, but it definitely is probably the most high-profile time it's been said, and it probably is going to be a a label that will not leave the Trump administration at this point. Um, But that, that, you know, I think that press conference was was startling, and I think a lot of folks have felt the same way. Um, You know, how do you feel about that whole event? And they sound awfully defensive. And, you know, again, this, this, this is no surprise given who Trump himself is, which is a very thin-skinned, I think deeply insecure man who thrives on adulation and ratings, and when he doesn't get that, lashes out. And, you know, and that's a fair comment, and that's a fair criticism based on everything we've seen over the years from him. I, I, I frankly think Sean Spicer is off to a very bad start. Um, he did himself no favors. He did his boss no favors with the, the way he, he acted and what he said during uh, the Saturday press conference. Again, just seemed to be repeating a lot of things that were not true. Um, yeah, again, really poor start. And I, uh, yeah, he, I hope he learns from this. We'll now, see. today, um, which we're recording this on, on Monday, it'll probably go um, out to the world on Tuesday or later tonight. Um, but supposedly he's having his first real... Um, you know, meet and greet um, and going to be taking questions from the press today. So we'll see what happens. But like you said, it was his it was his statement that this was the largest in quote. This was the largest audience to ever witness inauguration period, both in person <laughs> and around the globe. It was not. Um, anybody who who was cognizant was aware of that. I, I think, frankly, what Spicer could have said is we realize, you know, the inauguration was not as attended as it could have been, but, you know, we're going to work hard to win over those who did not vote for President Trump. But again, there was absolutely no outreach here, no positivity, 
just he sounded like his boss, very thin-skinned and dishonest. Yeah, and that's you know, unfortunate. You I know, mean, but that's what Mr. Spicer chose to do. Right, and you know, you know, we've talked about this before about the difference between campaigning and governing. And, and, and the hardest part, I right. think, about, about Donald Trump is going to be that he's never governed anything before. Yeah, he's run a large company before, um, but um, it's it's not the same as governing. And No, it is not. And a campaign can be more spin than substance, but governing can't be. Um, you know, you have to have no. some substance to your spin or else your spin doesn't work. And, that's, and that was almost indicative of what happened, I think, on... On, on, on Saturday, you know, there was, it was all spin and no substance because you couldn't say that it was the most attended ever or in the most seen both in person and on TV when both of those facts weren't really there. You can spin it all you want. And that's really, I think, where the disconnect is going to probably be at some point. Right, or, I agree. You know, because you like, you know, I, I'm not going to say it again. So, you know, they're going to have to learn to not spin without, without any substance. Well, for starters, and they're going to have to learn not to tell bald-faced lies, because I don't care who it is, Democrat or Republican, or no matter how how big of a win that person may have had, we all know Donald Trump just barely won this election. You know, sorry, Trump supporters, but that's the reality of it. So he's already at a disadvantage in terms of, of how he's behaving and how his spokesperson is behaving. This is not going to do them any good in the long run. It really isn't. So then we go to Sunday. Um, the the Spicer briefing kind of took over uh, the Saturday news cycle, at least at least for a lot of Correct. people I saw. Um, and then you go to um, well, you know what happened on Sunday. Um, talk, you know, basically talking about alternative facts um, <laughs> on the news programs. And you know, I want to get to after this. I want to get to you know what's going on with the general evicting of the press from the White House. But, right. you know, I think what happened then also on Sunday um, plays to that. So, you know, let's get to the alternative facts um, thing. So you have Kellyanne right. Conway and others on the Sunday morning news shows, but it was Conway who, who used the alternative facts statement. Um, so she says, let's see. Oh, God, don't have it right in front of me. But she basically said that what he was referring to was alternative facts. So, again, when you go to spin that, you can't make up alternative facts to make the spin work, I don't think. there's. I mean, there's, there's either facts or not yeah. facts. I mean, the only thing I was going to say, I didn't interrupt you. No, you're not. I, that was an astonishing kind of exchange between... Ms. Conway and Chuck Todd, and who I, I have to, I've never been a big Chuck Todd fan, but I will say we're starting to see a much more aggressive uh, Chuck Todd here, who is actually really tending to punch back and ask tougher questions. Which, you know, had Hillary Clinton been the, the president and had his or her spokesperson been uh, saying similar things, he should absolutely do. Um, but just, there are no alternative facts, there are just facts. And again, Conway, like Sean Spicer and like their boss, she's just doing herself no favors here. She, she frankly embarrasses herself. It's, you would think somebody as smart as this woman is would know better. And I, I suspect, you know, I, I, I'm, this is merely speculation on my point, but I, you know, she's obviously under pressure to do this. Uh, you know, it's her reputation on the line here. 
And I, I just think it's not going to get any easier for her if she continues to spin in this manner, which is so detached from reality, it's not even funny. Now, again, like we talked about, there's the difference between spin and, and alternative facts, okay? Now you and can, lying. You have to be working <laughs> right. off the, you know, so... In the old days, or the you know the typical spin is like you had mentioned, you come out. It says the numbers are are are, are lower than Obama's in two thousand nine. They are you know lower than Reagan's in uh, nineteen eighty for for who viewed it on television, um, and which is crazy thinking that the electorate is smaller. But whatever, right? Um, and so you could spin on those facts by saying. Well, yeah, it was lower, but that's because people were intimidated or that's because, you know, we haven't won over people yet, but we're, we're going to. You spin the fact. You don't spin that the fact didn't exist. And I think that's the difference. Correct. Um, so here, that's I, what they're doing right now. It's right. embarrassing. Um, you know, and like Wayne and I um, said in our last sports podcast, it was, well, why, you know, why acknowledge um, what what your shortcomings are when you can just deny them? But um, this is... The, the little I'm going to read the the back and forth between Todd and Conway. Um, so we'll start off with okay. Conway, and she says, "Quote: You're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts." Conway said, and Todd responded, "Alternative facts aren't facts; they're falsehood." And then, right, and he's correct. <laughs> right, and then she says. Your job is not to call things ridiculous that are said by our press secretary and our president. That's not your job. And he followed up, can you please answer the question? Why did he do this? You have not answered it. It's only one question. And she answered it. She says, I'll answer it this way. Talk about what you just said to your viewers. That's why we feel compelled to go out and clear the air and put alternative facts out there. <laughs> I, again, I, I really, this is just astonishing to me. That these people will go to any length whatsoever to defend to defend this man to the point of where they just Kelly Ann Conway looked like a fool. There's no polite way of saying that. She just looks ridiculous. So does Sean Spicer. But if this is what they're going to choose to do, they can expect even more ridicule and to be corrected and called out on this. They better get used to it. If they're not going to act like adults, that's that's the only thing I could say on this. It, you know, it's jaw dropping. Yeah. So, and, and and when it comes down to it, they say nine hundred thousand people maximum. Um, so you know that were there, and who knows whether that's you know estimated up or down. Um, I guess For Obama. The I don't think so. No, well, there were not nine hundred thousand people there. That is. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a maximum. I'm going to pictures of that, and it just they weren't there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what is being called. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, um, you know, do, 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 do. so officials, whoever that is, um, uh, say that it was about, it, that the maximum ever it could be was 900,000. That's what's, you know, what, what Heavy and some other people are, are really kind of going at is that if anybody wants to do a top line, there was not 901,000, there was at most 900. Um, but there was... Um, five hundred to seven hundred thousand at Obama's second inauguration, and probably one point eight million at his first in two thousand nine. Yeah. So yes. you know, I mean, the fact that it was lower and it wasn't the most attended is is not in dispute because no matter who you're looking at talking about it, 
Um, you know, and I just kind of want to get that out because we've kind of gone into the assumption that it wasn't an alternative fact. And that's what everyone's really saying. And that is just, you know, there's no one out there that has anybody, any, any sort of credible um, argument that says that it could have been more than Obama. And that's just the way that it is. Not saying Obama's better or worse, but not that many people attended. And even the um, metropolitan uh, 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 ridership numbers that Spicer quoted were off from what the actual uh, group was saying. Um, and so, you know, it is true that the the facts that he gave were not true facts, so they're not alternative, they're just wrong. And and so, right. you know, I just want everyone else who might be listening to this is saying we're not just jumping on some bandwagon here, we're looking at what the the actual agencies that had people in there can possibly say with the photos, with everything else that was there, um, it shows that those numbers were less than a million, no matter how much you want to upsize them. You can't upsize them any more than 900,000, and that's just the way that it is. Right. I mean, what's the old saying? Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, um, I totally agree. I am going to believe myself and my lying eyes. Correct. Um the one bit that I for sure wanted to talk about is the possible eviction from the White House of the White House press corps. And um, right. it's been a tradition um, since 1902 and Teddy Roosevelt that reporters would have workspace at the White House. Um, I guess yeah. 114, you know, 15 years later, it's time to get rid of it. Um, so... They want to move um, into. Um, they want to move the press corps from a press room inside the White House, where they get some sort of access to the press secretary and some other staffers to get information to the American people. So you have to de- depend on. I mean, I know that people might say we're biased because we've been journalists for a long time. However, from covering folks, we always trust ourselves. I think and journalists more than we would trust the actual politicians themselves, to, to to get the information to you. But they want to move them to a conference center or to the old executive office building. Uh, how do you feel about that one, Karen? I, I You know, Robert Robert Reich, Reich uh, wrote an opinion piece in San Francisco Chronicle. I, I don't always agree with Reich, but I do think he's on to something here. Basically, this move is to to kind of just corral the press and in some ways also get a lot of the very pro-Trump journalists like people from Breitbart and other types of uh, alternative, quote-unquote, media in there so they can they can be the ones to really dominate, ask lots of questions that Trump and Spicer and others will like, and of course, uh, you know, just act as somewhat of a, I'm going to be careful how I use this word, but bully pulpit against traditional legitimate objective journalist. That's that's really what it's looking like right now. And of course, as we know, in this fiasco of a press conference he had recently, Trump had, you know, his own people in there to clap and, and cheer him along, which is just something so, holy crass. I, I, I can't even, you can't even properly articulate how crass that is. Um, and, you know, we can look for more of these with, with uh, paid staffers in there. Sure. So this is just, this is, uh, to me, and, and I think almost anybody who has any, you know, open mind towards this, that's what this looks like. I just don't think this is by accident so they can claim they can accommodate more of the legitimate mainstream press. I think it'll be interesting if this is done 
we see exactly who is in there. And I'm, I'm willing to bet some good money that it's going to be a lot of pro-Trump media outlets. Yeah, and, you know, I think the big thing that, 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 that with all the attacks on mainstream media, you know, that, 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 that horrible little idea that's, that's kind of been stretching out there that you can't trust the media, like they have something to hide, that their bottom line right. isn't really getting you all the information that you need to get in the most credible and truthful um, uh, manner that they can do it. That, and that the people who have the possibility to enrich themselves in other ways by being uh, public servants or by just doing things that are inept and incompetent or wrong or against the law. Um, you know, the, the media has been known as the fourth estate for a long time and, 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 and it does serve a viable purpose no matter what anyone wants to say. And, you know, and we can talk about how that, dif- de- that disinformation allows you to, to then do anything you want. I mean, it's genius, but it's horrible. You know, it's, it's genius to win one or two elections, but it's horrible in the long term because what it does, um, because there is a viable spot for journalists and, 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 and news publications, credible news pro- uh, publications in this country. They serve a viable point. Um, and it's not national um, and state-run sponsored media. This is coming out of people that their bottom line is really depending and delivering the information that needs to be delivered to the people. Um, right. And the White House Press Corps, a lot of people might not understand, is about 45 to 50 people. It's a good old boys club and because it's all the old biggies. We're talking all the major TV networks, um, the major wire services, the major newspapers around the world. It's not just um, those folks from the United States. Um, there's, there's newspapers and media um, outlets from all over the world, but they make up 45. It's only 45 to 50 people. It's a small club, but it's still a larger right. club than... Than you know, than just those people who are looking at their 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 own self interest at times, and politicians, their self interest is getting reelected or having their friends be elected or doing favors for their friends. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And yeah. and the I, journalists I aren't, you know. And and so to to jump on top of your point is that that's part of what Reich and others are saying is that they want to make that pool bigger. They want to make it not forty five to fifty. But they'll keep those 45 to 50 people that have always been there, but then they'll be able to throw out to, to Breitbart or whoever else they want. Because as, as news media has, has, has exploded over the past 30 years, because now we have all these websites and all these other groups, it's not just the old newspaper um, TV stations anymore. But they can't get a seat in the White House press corps for sure because it's very difficult, even if they have the money. Um, but that's the way that it is. And, and it gives you that access. Um, you know, if, if they guarantee the same access that you can walk from the old executive office building right into the West Wing at some point, like they were given access to before, um, then I might not have a problem with it. But it seems like it's going to be a different thing. And as my last, you know, getting off my soapbox here, I want to I quote something that, that Reich had in that, in, that, in that column that you mentioned. Um, it is an unnamed source, so I have a little bit of a problem with that. But this is supposedly what right. he says. He says, a senior official admitted the move was a reaction to hostile press coverage. The view at the highest reaches of the incoming administration is that the press is the enemy. And then quoting from this senior official is, they are the opposition party, said the senior official. Quote, I want them out of the building. We are taking back the press room. Um, You know what? Given the way Trump has behaved and given the way all those around him have, I believe this person is telling the truth. I, I, I don't, and just because it may need an uncertain name source, this makes perfect sense with their entire MO. 
And, you know, they may win some battles from this, but in the long run, I believe it will, it will come back to bite them on the rear end. They're making a very serious strategic mistake here. Yeah, and, 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 but, and yeah. I mean, you know, it's part of those alternative facts. I mean, we can go back to those alternative facts again. And you might say that somebody's saying, well, we're going to move you to a bigger area. We're going to do whatever. But that's fine. I mean, with the explosion of media, that might be a good thing. You know, it might be nice for modern times to be able to get a seat in the White House press corps if we could afford to have some, uh, a correspondent in Washington, D.C., right? You know, I mean, if, if all of a sudden you, you can let in, uh, you know, uh, 300 people, that's that that might be good to have more of that opening up. However, if it's it's cloaked in the lack of access, it's you know it's 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 like we just mentioned. It seems like they want them out of the building. They're taking back the press room, and they're the opposition party. And we want to shut down any other information that they can get. They want to control the information more, and that's where the issue is. So you know, yes. I, you know, it's like the disinformation. It's the same old baloney, um, and so that's what it seems to me. And it's it's more of a threat. Then, you know, and it's also when you're now threatening the media, they can't come out the way that they've set them, the way that the Trump administration and some of those GOPers out there have set up the mainstream media. They can't even complain about this because then they just say, oh, you're complaining and blah, 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 because that's what they've set it up to be. So now you're stuck. You know, they've that's that's the, the, the cyclical loop that you get when you constantly critique um, the media profession then there's no way for it to even be vindicated again. Um, and, and it seems like we're, we're now going down that slow drain. Yeah, I, I, again, and it's going to be up to legitimate news media outlets to push it back as hard against this as they can and to uh, investigate and you know thoroughly call out this administration when it is not telling the truth. And I suspect that's going to be a lot. Yeah, and, and, and we saw Sadly. a bit of that then on Saturday. I mean, we talked about Trump Saturday, um, and he was probably a little on edge because he knew there was you know several hundred thousand people in the streets protesting against him on Saturday. Um, but that's oh, a, way more than that nationwide and worldwide. We're talking several million. In the streets in Washington, D.C. alone, there was 200 to 300,000 right. people, right? So, and then, right. I mean, you know, there was, there was, there was more than 1,000, almost 2,000 in Phoenix, um, one of the coldest days of the year, <laughs> people actually came out of their houses in Phoenix with jackets on, and, um, you know, and that, and that was what I saw locally. I'm sure you saw that in Southern California. Um, yeah, San Diego had a huge turnout, as did my hometown of Las Vegas, uh, about six to 8,000 people, which, given kind of the nature of Vegas, that's a fairly good number. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I think for Phoenix and especially given Arizona went for Trump and is in generally a pretty strong Republican state, uh, you know, but there were also marches in Boise, Idaho, in red states. They were just all over. It was just not, you know, they can't, pro-Trump people can't just say, well, it's just the coastal elite. These were all over America. So once again, it shows a lot of people don't like and don't trust Donald Trump. And, um, you know, we saw the proof on Saturday. About now they're saying about 500,000 in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I think they're saying around the world, um, you know, there was, you know, millions of people um, around the world yeah. that protested on Saturday. I, right. I, I mean, I think not only this country was alarmed by this man. I think you have a lot of other nations, ones including our, our closest allies. There were big turnouts in London, for example. Uh, in England, um, who are just 
they're not thrilled with this guy, and they're making it known. And I, I honestly have to say, I think not only is the Trump administration, you can tell by the very defensive tone of, of what they've been, excuse me, been saying, but I think the GOP itself was not expecting this kind of pushback this quickly. And really, it's knocked them off their heels. They, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll probably learn a better way to respond to this, but we're not seeing it right now. We can talk about where it was. Um, Sydney, Berlin, London, Paris, Nairobi, Cape Town, um, you know, hundreds hundreds around. Um, There was even uh, an Antarctica researcher um, went out and put something on Twitter. So I guess it was even on Antarctica. Um, There was people protesting Trump on Saturday, which I think is interesting. When George W. Bush came into office 16 years ago, obviously, again, there were a lot of bad feelings, but I don't recall protests of this nature to his presidency because most people, despite their disagreements with him, they believed whatever his his flaws, that he had the country's best interest at heart. Um, I just don't think there's that attitude now with the man who's in that office. I think there's a lot of fear. There's concern, and and Trump really has, uh, you know, he has nobody but himself to blame for that. He has done absolutely nothing to prove anybody wrong. Uh, and I, I, and while I, I suspect the momentum for this might die down, die down for a little bit, there's already talk, and we don't know how this is going to turn out. But there might be a huge protest on the 15th of April, which, as we all know, is the day, the last day to pay one's taxes to uh, the federal government, calling on Trump to release his tax return. Uh, and if, if, you know, he already signed today, the, he reversed the gag rule on abortion and has already signed some other things that I don't think even a lot of his supporters are going to like. Um, so you can, you can, I, I, I'm pretty confident there will be more marches in the future. I, I, again, this is why I think the GOP is actually pretty nervous about this because who knows what's going to happen in November 2018. But if this continues and his approval rates start really falling, they're about what thirty-one percent now. I don't. I haven't seen a new poll on it. But you know, it looks so. Like the GOP might just lose Congress, and that's going to be a big problem for Trump and his administration if that's the case. Yeah. And again, I'm playing it out a year and a half from now because I we never know what happens in elections until it happens. But it, it just seems like the dynamics are moving that way for the moment. So um, what he's done so far is he's kind of changed some some uh, uh, aspects to Obamacare. They're, they're starting to try to dismantle that. Um, looks like uh, Tillerson's going to be um, approved, or he has been. Um, he is now going to be... Um, the uh, the Senate committee approved him for Secretary of State. Um, we know that mm-hmm. uh, Mad Dog Mathis is, uh, or Mattis is now the uh, uh, new Defense Secretary. And he um, might actually turn out to be a fairly good choice. Again, only time will tell... I don't think there's the alarm or the objection to him their way the way there is to Betsy DeVos or Tillerson uh, or Price or Pruitt. But again, only time will tell. We'll see what what happens. Uh, and he has also pulled, or Donald Trump has pulled the United States out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, yes, which given that it really wasn't a done deal to me, that was just a hollow symbolic move. Um, uh, yes, no, the TPP is not popular. Although I, and I am no fan of a lot of free trade agreements, not because I'm against free trade personally, but because often how, as we know, they don't quite ever, they don't turn out to be the boon that many people think they're going to. But that doesn't mean that free trade in itself is a bad thing. That said, 
you know, this even John McCain came out and criticized Trump today for doing that. And I, I think for many economists, they say, you can make all this noise against it, but unless you have a better idea in place, it, it just rings hollow. And obviously that's what his move was. And again, the TPP is not a done deal. So uh, this is just an empty, an empty gesture, which, uh, you know, it'll satisfy some of Trump's supporters. But I, you know, in the long run, I don't think it means anything. Yeah, you know, I, I know that Australia is not very happy about it because, um, you know, right. it, 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 it played up for them. Obviously, Japan's not going to be. They're the only country to actually ratify the agreement so far. Correct. Um, but correct. everyone's saying it's basically dead without the U.S. And so now some of these other um, countries are going to try to, uh, you know, put something else together. But, you know, as we know, without being a global trade partner with the United States, you have issues, and who knows whether he's going to use this to try to negotiate. But um, you know, I think trade is good for everybody, and the more we try to um, you know restrict it, um, it becomes difficult. And who knows what the all these details are? And everybody's always trying to enrich themselves in one way or another. And you always you know the devil's in the details, as they say. Well, However, correct, and and yeah, you know it's you know what you set. You know, there's a lot of of our friends that uh, that like this deal. And, you know, you know, is it good for us? Does it hurt manufacturing? I mean, we, we, we've talked about this before. If there's a way to really go back, you know, when you talk about a global economy, there's going to be some areas that are going to be, you know, you have countries acting like um, regions, um, whereas we think of the Midwest and, and uh, the old Rust Belt as actually being a manufacturing hub for this country. Well, the, the more we become a global economy, this world becomes together. You have nations serving in those kinds of roles, um, so where New York City kind of got rid of all of its um, industrial base by the 1950s and it moved other places and it became basically the office for America. And that same thing is going right. to happen to countries. And, and, you know, I mean, we can try to act like that that doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, I don't know how successful you can be to do that because other countries are still there and we can't step back. You know, economies... Well, Everything correct. in capitalism is based on growth. Is these countries, if, if they're going, if we're not going to go into the TPP, fine, fair enough. They may just do a trade agreement that doesn't include us and could start really reaping the benefits of that. And yes, as you said, do damage to our manufacturing. And so this is just again another hollow gesture from Donald Trump, one of many to come, I'm sure. In the long run, it's not going to really have the effect he hopes. I hear something. So, so we go to the uh, um, uh, NAFTA um, is going to be next, and that seems like it might be a bargaining trip in the border wall, which we've talked about in podcasts past um, yeah. and in other places. I, I Again, I, I honestly suspect you're going to start seeing, say, the Chamber of Commerce and other serious business groups not warming to this idea and probably doing all they can to fight against it. Whether anybody likes it or not now, NAFTA is a fact of life. Uh, it's been in place for over 20 years, and you can't, you know, this is why just, just getting rid of something sorely for the sake of getting rid of it, to me, it's not a good idea, unless there's something truly legitimate to, to take its place. And, of course, Trump has nothing in place in terms of a proposal. Um, and so I, I, I think there's, you're going to start seeing pushback from other sectors in this country against really dismantling NAFTA. And, I, uh, you know, Mexico, which is we all know, has said it's not going to pay for any wall. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think even Mexico or, you know, is going to be thrilled with this idea. So, again, with Trump, I'll believe it when I see it. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of, um, you know, the two, I think the two um, uh, points for negotiation that Trump has um, with Mexico are the, um, you know, putting a, a, a tax on, on, on sending funds um, and NAFTA. And those two things are coming up. And, I, you know, I think we're going to know within the next two months where this whole thing plays out. Um, and, it, and it really seems like it's going to, we are going to know at some point relatively soon whether yeah. whether whether everything comes collapsing or he's able to maintain um and then yeah, i think i mean yeah i agree you know i mean because if you come out of the the uh discussions with mexico with nothing and you're not being able to get anything you know solved and you end up then just saying we're going to put um a, a tax on your sending back uh, cash um that's going to have a huge financial impact on a lot of different things. And if you start, you know, we know that the Great Depression was, you know, par- partially uh, made worse by an increase in tariffs, which slowed, right. you know, the uh, global trade, which then made the Great Depression worldwide. And, you know, um, tariffs are, are one of those things that, um, you know, anyone who really gets far into thinking about uh, our economic future realizes that, they're a relic of the 19th century. Um, we don't really right. do that anymore. Um, and so, you know, we're having discussions about tariffs in the 21st century. Um, it it, it kind of goes that whole idea that you don't really realize we're in a global economy. Yeah, I again, I, free, free trade, there's no question it has hurt people over the years. Nobody likes that. I've always had very mixed feelings about free trade. But the idea that you can simply stop doing it without anything, any kind of serious replacement or idea, that has ruinous consequences for an economy. So people just need to stop and think about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, the merits of you can't take a global corporations now exist. So they operate globally and your, your, your economic and your tax systems have to be the same way because if you don't, then, you know, and this is a whole different discussion, but like you said, I'm not here to, to, and, and, and part of what I'm saying is not a, you know, debating whether it's right or wrong. It's debating the facts, I guess, <laughs> not right. alternative facts, but That's what we deal with here. It may be hard for some to, to, to grasp that, but, uh, you know, what, what, I, I think, again, you know, this is what the Trump administration is going to continue to do. That's going to collapse upon itself eventually. And that's just a hard and fast rule for anybody. If Hillary Clinton were acting the same way as president, I would say it about her, too. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But this is they're not off to a good start. Yeah. And, and they're you just know, not. Right. And it was an interesting first weekend. And, and like always, you might be, you know, business as usual is changing because obviously he's treating the press different. He's thinking about the way the economy works differently. He's trying to really, uh, uh, you know, shut down our borders in ways that have never been done before. I mean, obviously, a gigantic border wall is different than ever. Um, and you could say that Obama was tough on immigration, and he was, but at the same time, it did happen. Um, if you try to really shut that down, what happens? Um, but when you really fundamentally change things, the thing about business as usual in electing Hillary was, is that that could be business as usual means you're probably going to have the same levels of moderate growth and everything will remain basically the same but when you change business as usual either you have a chance to really change it for the better or it's going to go to the worse because it's and not I just going to be along the right same now, road yeah i i fear from what we're seeing that may be the latter i hope i'm wrong yeah, i me really too. do me too i i you know 
we all know that for our next generations, we need to leave something good, and um, and hopefully we do. Um, Without question. And we can fo- you can follow more of this and, and, and other stories on moderntimesmagazine.com. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-T-I-M-E-S magazine.com. Um, we'll have this and yeah. more information. Check out some of our older podcasts, especially the uh, um, Five Points on the Border Wall, which I think really maintains some, some, some real good uh, pertinence today. Uh, otherwise, I want to say thank you. Thank you, Karen, for joining me today. Thank you, John, and thank you all to all our listeners for being a part of it. We'll see you in a few weeks. Um, next week, I think we have the Bitchy Food Club podcast, um, but Karen and I will be back soon. Right, Karen? Absolutely. I'm here. Have a great day, everybody.